Are we are we rolling? Hi. Hey, look, we're cooking now, Hi. baby. We're, we're, hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honorcast. <laughs> no <We> cold <laughs> open. No, Not keep off going. guard. Yeah, wow. Hey, I love it. Keep going. Where we gather around a table and discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film space course. This week's film is A Knight's Tale, directed by somebody and starring Heath Ledger, because that's what matters. Um, 100%. That is, I guess, fair. Journeyman director Brian Helgeland. Thank you, screenwriter Mr. of L.A. Confidential. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. written a ton of movies. Only and directed Mystic a, River. Yeah, wrote a ton of movies. Oh, he only did Forty Two. He did do the Forty Two movie. I've seen that. He's got one called The Order that didn't go over very well. He did that uh, Legend. Is that the twins? The Cray twins. The Cray twins with uh, Tom, Tom Hardy, Hardy and Tom yeah. Hardy. That movie's better Legend with bananas. Tom Cruise. Yeah. Um. Anyhow, uh, we're I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm still Dalton, although I don't have any papers forged to to prove that. To prove currently. your um, Dalton genealogy? No, I don't. I don't have a real idea. Steward idea. of the House of Stewart. Yeah, it's just a driver's license. Von Lichtenstein. Von no. Von Lichtenstein. No real ID. Um, Ulrich von Licht. What a great name. Very anyway, name. Uh, in case you're tuning into the show for the very first time, friends, uh, we're silly. That's a warning. The second warning is we do spoilers. Uh, and, the ways, and the reason why we have to do spoilers is because analysis requires that we talk about how the thing ends. But we're going to avoid that for the first part of the show in case you've been sleeping under a rock and haven't seen A Knight's Tale. And so this is how we avoid that. We have a synopsis, which is spoiler-free. We'll have thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, which are spoiler-light. Then we have spoiler-medium gameplay, in which we do a little game called Expanding the Syllabus. And then finally, we are spoilerific spoiler towns, um, and that's when we play music to let you know that we have um, gotten down to business and all spoiler bets are off. So with that, um, Sir Arthur Gordon, would you delight us, please, with the synopsis? Will Thatcher seems to be the seeks to be the bravest and boldest knight in Europe, but there's only one problem. He's a peasant. With the help of his best friends and a roaming writer by the name of Geoffrey Chaucer. Who's that? Thatcher aims to change his stars. That's what happens in this movie. It, you got him. There, there's star changing happening, and you know that whole a lot of alchemy involved. That that whole um, um, universe scene when with the music and 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 we get intercut to Malick. the creation of the dinosaurs. <laughs> the dinosaurs yeah, was loved really it. wild. <laughs> I can see why they walked out of this at Cannes. I understand the booze now. Yeah, it totally makes sense. So can't well, believe this won the Palme d'Or. <laughs> 2001. 2001. Something must have overshadowed that year. I, no. Of course, I'm fascinated. Yeah, I have to look up a one the Palm Door no one. Uh, of course. 2001, uh, the year Mulholland Drive came out, competed against. Uh, I don't remember. Did Mulholland win? Mulholland did not win. Ooh, what a what a travesty that must have been. Well, Lynch had won a couple years prior. Did he win for Lost Highway? He did. No, he won for uh, Wild at Heart of really? all things. Yes, huh. which is. The Stranger Choice of those mm. uh, that little trilogy there, that's probably third rank yeah. for me, but nonetheless. Um, what is the Palme d'Or winner of 2001? The Italian film The Sun's Room. Uh, it's very funny, though. Uh, Cannes took place like literally a week after this movie opened. This movie Ooh, opens no. May 11th, 01. Cannes is May 20th, 01. Yeah, I so, don't, yeah. I, I'm assuming that Knight's Tale did not compete at Cannes. No, no, I don't <laughs> think so. Much like our beloved Shrek, uh, although it's important as a one of the last films in 2001 to come out before 9-11, it did not compete for the for the Palm Door. Yeah, uh, but yeah, this is this is slotted right along Shrek and sort of the summer of 01 canon, which mm. I think is a really interesting time period we've talked yes. about a couple of times. So uh, with that, we'll do thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. I assume we've all seen this multiple times, so there's no. Yeah, I was there. I've seen it once. I've seen it once. Uh, well, then Arthur, you're the one. Then you get to go first. I am the one. You're, you're the, the one. one. Do I have to take out all the other ones from all the other multiverses? Uh, well, no, you have to. You have to joust them. I no. have to ruin their reviews of the Knight's Tale. You know, but you are responsible for the future of the human race now. Oh boy, oh boy, that's, that's starting well for anybody. I <laughs> promise you that. Um, what do I think about a Knight's Tale? Yeah, I, I think I mentioned this off here to both of you at some point. Um, I had borrowed, I think, the DVD out of friends. You know, who really enjoyed this in high school, and so I caught the DVD of it and watched it, and I remember enjoying it. And so going back, I've, I've had like that fondness memory of like I didn't hate it; I thought it was fun. And I kind of remember the, I think, cultural love of it, because um, it felt like it did have that kind of cult following. And so uh, to rewatch it, I was kind of interested to see how it goes. Um, and it's funny. Uh, it, it's, it's a laugh, uh, a riot, oh, just a great cast. Mark Addy, um, 
Vision himself, Paul Bettany. Yeah, Alan Tudyk. Uh, Alan, Tud- Alan Tudyk's a hoot. Uh, he's so good in this. Yeah, just, just angry all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you a right good fonging. Yeah, it's, yep. it's a good time. Uh, of course, Heath is great. Uh, Shannon Sossaman, uh, I think this is her first role. She gets discovered DJing at some famous oh, that's birthday cool. party. Yeah, so, uh, but this is her first Future big Academy birthday. Award nominee, uh, Berenice Bejo. Oh, uh, yeah. is here as well. Uh, Rufus Sewell. Oh, she's the maid. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't yeah. even realize that was Bernice Bay, but yes, yeah. yes, it yeah. is. Yeah, I saw the name in the credits. I was like, wait, that Bernice Bayho? And yes, it's her. Laura Frazier, who plays Lydia on Breaking Bad, is yeah. Kate the blacksmith. Yeah, you know, if you're for our Breaking Bad heads out there, yeah, it's a fun little party that gets put together yeah. here. I think that's a lot of fun um, to make a sport movie uh, set in medieval times. It's just a fun idea, and mm-hmm. you know you don't get to see much like that. I mean, it really is kind of its own thing in many ways. The the anachronisms I think help it uh, stand out uh, from being kind of a pretty stock movie. I, I think. I mean, the cast and those choices really help uh, elevate this. Um, I think that jousting is not the most interesting sport to build a sport movie around. I think it's very samey and it struggles i think at times to overcome that i get that there's only so many ways a guy can fall off a horse yeah and they try to find all of them yeah (laughs) there's only so many ways you can smash a a, a jousting stick and fall off a horse i production design guy joked about how they used up all the balsa wood in the czech republic yeah balsa Uh, wood and i think spaghetti spaghetti yeah uh to make those explosions i mean there's even a joke of that where uh he's taking the blows um to lose and they're just throwing like the splinters on everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Um, so that being said, I I do think it may be a little long, like Mm. maybe 10, 15 minutes, not terrible. Mm. Um, I think I like the back half a little stronger once it really gets those gears going. Uh, the emotional beats, uh, work for me once they return back to London, just about everything that happens there. Cheap side, uh, with the Thatchers, with Rufus Sewell. It really cooks in Uh, that third act. yeah, Yeah. I think it just lands the plane real well. Uh, again, I do think the final joust is just a little anticlimactic just because it's really kind of hard to do much dynamically with that event. And so I, I think that might not work quite as well. Um, but otherwise, I mean, man, it's fun. It's so much fun. Uh, so quotable. Great music. A great soundtrack. Uh, Carter Burwell's score uh, is is super solid. Um everybody's fun all the little nods the nike on the armor that's so funny you know having to get that through uh ip approval at nike yeah i watched this with a group of people and there was some debate about uh, how much money that saved the movie by getting a swoosh on the armor (laughs) uh and so yeah i mean this i I think of this i think of queen i think of kind of everything goes with that i think of it being just a great time uh it's got a you know, seven years before Marvel, it's got a little stinger at the end of the credits, uh, which is a fun little little scene that takes place. I forgot to watch it. Yeah, yeah. you even told me that it happened. Uh, which is just, an, it's just a silly, uh, in total appropriate Jeffrey Chaucer fashion fart joke. Mm-hmm. And it works. Um, and so, yeah, A, a Knight's Tale uh, is a movie I probably won't come back to often, uh, but I really enjoy it. I think it's fun. I think it's easily watchable. If it's on TV, I'm not going to probably turn it off. Um and I had a good time with it. And I think it's kind of cultural attache mm-hmm. of, of being able to kind of stick around for 22 years has lent something to it because yeah. I do think it is truly unique in, in many ways. And so, yeah, I, I have a good time with this. A positive, uh, certified, fresh review from Arthur. <laughs> Thank you very much, Sir Arthur Gordon. Um, Duke. Dalton Stewart, what bring you in analysis? I'm a fan. Analysis? We're not there uh, no, yet. No, no, in a review. Whatever uh, we're doing. Yeah, you know. This is anachronistic now. That no, is. I'm confused. Uh, well, I, I am a big it's fan. old. That's because I'm the peasant here. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because you napped before you came What's over. What's the calendar, sir? <laughs> I feel better. Go for a walk. <laughs> Uh, well, much like we'll talk about that movie later, actually. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of the anachronisms in this movie. Speaking of, I think it really holds the film together, both in terms of dialogue, uh, costuming choices, whether it's the Nike swoosh that Arthur already mentioned, or just sort of a, some, a modern flair to a lot of the the, the looks that uh, Jocelyn wears, or even Chaucer's coat has a very modern flair to it. A lot of cool fits in this movie. Yeah. Uh, well, somebody pointed out, like, the Firebird or the Trans Am symbol that's on... Uh... Tudix garb. 
Oh, I missed that. I missed That's that. good. Yeah, he seems like a Firebird guy, yeah. though. Yeah, trans That's great. guy, yeah. Uh, Carolyn Harris did the uh, costume design on this, and she was not just the costume designer. She was also the armorer. Uh, so she did oh, all cool. the armor. Yeah. yeah, she was. That is awesome. Yeah, she, in the opening <laughs> credits, it's costume and armor by Carolyn Harris. Yeah, very cool. I thought that was very cool. Uh, yeah, big fan of that for her. Uh, I just think this movie really comes together. I have an affection for this movie. I think I mentioned when we first started that I, I saw this in theaters. Uh, I was a kid, obviously, when this came out. Uh, I remember watching it uh, for, uh, I think a teacher had a sub show it to us in middle school or maybe high school. I had uh, this showed it to me in school. So yeah, I have a, a, a great affection for this film. It's been with me for a while and uh, revisiting it, I was struck by, yeah, how much it really works. Arthur's right. It is kind of its own thing. It is, you know, it's plays a lot of familiar sports movie beats, but by kind of playing with this, you know, anachronistic middle ages, uh, we, we really get to breathe some personality into this film. Um, and again, as you said, there's some real heart to this. A lot of good scenes of people hanging out in this movie. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a little more on board. I think, I think Arthur's right as far as, you know, it, they really pull out all the stops in terms of visually trying to keep the jousting interesting. I actually saw, uh, some behind the scenes work of a, a cameraman being strung up, uh, holding the camera and they've got him in a flying rig coming in over the two jousters. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It was really interesting. Uh, just, just fully glide this cameraman in, uh, wondering now they'd probably just put the camera itself on wires, but, uh, yeah, right. big old 35 pros. Exactly. But a big old 35 millimeter rig and they're just flying this guy down. Yeah, it was great. Uh, and I, I, I think that that, that uh, that level of craft shows throughout. I think the the film really shines uh, in terms of just not only some really whip smart dialogue as Arthur's already mentioned, but great production and costume design as we've talked about. The art direction all around is good. Uh, there's interesting class divisions in the way people are styled and costumed. Really, you know, hammering home like the the nobles are have makeup on and are looking good, and the the common folk are dirty. Uh, I just kind of love that attention to detail. Um, and again. Uh, really funny i never stops having a good time but is also like very sincere and heartfelt uh i really across the plate you know in terms of echoing the sports movie beats it really does find a way to to carry in those those classic inspirational sort of uh heart stirring uh, heart string pulling stirring strings moments uh it really makes it work and again like the jokes don't undercut that at all like it manages to do both of those things pretty well i think tone is managed really well throughout go ahead i was gonna say i think one of the things that really, i didn't get this earlier but one of the things i think that really does work for me is the 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 romance between uh, him and the maiden. I can't think of her J- name. Jocelyn. Jocelyn. Yeah. And, and I Will. love the way that that's plotted. Like, there's a way in which other comedies, you know, there would be some serious dramatic tension and they'd split. And, and she's pretty much, you know, they're pretty much through and through together after he proves himself. Yeah, they the get joust. into a little fight and uh, she, you know, she makes him uh, prove himself after their little yeah, tiff. But, but there's no big third act breakup yeah. kind of thing, which she's, I, I really she's appreciate. She's on board. Yeah. 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 I, I, Even when, when she realizes what's going on, the yeah. truth. Yeah. That, I think that that reveal is played really well. She's a ride or die. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And she breathes, uh, Shannon Sossman brings, breathes a lot of life into that character. She's kind of thin on the page. You know, there's not a lot to her other than, you know, her relationship with Will. Yeah. Um, so she's that's very kind of playful, a, very. Yeah, she's very playful. Sarcastic and witty. The, and Especially yeah. with the clergy, I think is really fun. Her moments of the two, two moments that she has with clergy are very funny in mm-hmm. this. The, the ring moment and the don't, don't shush me and spare him. Really good stuff. Uh, yeah. I, and again, I'm, I'm just on board with all these performances. Uh, even Rufus Sewell as uh, the villain, Count Ottoman or whatever. Ottom, uh, Ottoman. Uh, Ottoman. Ottoman. Adamar. Adamar. There we go. There I was we go. Get there. Uh, you know, I knew it wasn't Ottoman, but you know, it's a funny thing. To say. <laughs> Ottoman Empire. Yeah. Uh, he's great though. Uh, really smarmy, really nefarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that he's murked out all the time. It's all blacked out, all black, everything, black armor, black tunic at the ball. Yeah. I love it. Consistent look on him. <laughs> he doesn't clock out. He is always, <laughs> always ready to go. Uh, yeah, I, 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 just truly like a gentleman's four out of five for me. It really is a solid crowd pleasing good time. Uh, this is, uh, not fully, we, we used to be a country territory, but, uh, it's pretty close. <laughs> you know what I would give for a, if you're six- listening at home, time to take your shot. Uh, yeah, seriously. Uh, what would I give for a $60 million period piece, anachronistic sports dramedy now? Oh my God. Are you kidding me? This would kill. I would love to see this movie come out today. And uh, I guess we'll leave it at, uh, you know, what a talent 
Heath Ledger was. This movie is like real. As you, mm-hmm. there's a couple moments throughout this movie. I was like, man, he really was a movie star. Like he yeah. just he makes he makes screaming his own name work in the the final joust scene. An insane, like high, very arch, almost anime level tonal choice. Yeah, and he totally sells it. Uh, yeah, great performance out of him. And uh, truly, uh, it's it's fun that he he chased this role. Uh, I saw some behind the scenes uh, B roll uh that had been uploaded to youtube and uh, everybody seemed to have been pretty excited about this movie and it shows that uh the 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 cast and crew were on board for a good time because it it definitely uh delivers dustin you you also have a relationship with this film as you said i do i i've seen it i don't know half a dozen times or something like i don't know it's on cable a lot yeah yeah when it's on i watch it yeah and i mean that and it was on heavy rotation on tnt and Mm -hmm. uh, it's and i think at one point i had it recorded off of an hbo or something like that on a vhs tape uh truly the good old days the good old days um the sort of the end of the good old days at that point but it was beginning of the end anyhow Mm -hmm. but i like it a lot it's it's a lot of fun it is um a movie that has so much heart, and I think it's part of what you guys have been hitting on quite a bit here, is that there's just so much heart mm-hmm. throughout the whole film. Yeah. And uh, the way they're able to hit that sort of high comedic level and then really strike into pathos is pretty impressive from all the actors. Uh, again, we've mentioned costuming is great. Uh, the jousting, I, I think it is hard to keep it interesting, but part of the interest I think that maintains for an audience is that unlike a tennis movie, it's unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. It, because I think I think a tennis movie would have the same kind of difficulty. Yeah. But because we're unfamiliar with just jousting in general, it's like, well, I've never seen this is the sixth joust I've ever seen in my life yeah. because it's the sixth time this happened, and so it's it's it remains fresh. somewhat compelling and fresh. Yeah, for that reason, um, we've named a bunch of the supporting cast. I do want to mention James Purefoy, uh, who I love from uh, the following uh, the best first season oh, of yeah. a TV show in a long time. I really, really love yeah. the following. And uh, him playing um, a king royal... Prince Edward, Edward the Black. Well, I, I don't know. Is, we that, is, that. is that a spoiler? Nah. So, yeah, because it's like revealed. When we find him, we meet him and we yeah. know. This right. movie can legally drink. I think we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, with that, uh, he's great. Uh, and again, everybody is just really, really doing uh, just strong work. Will's dad is great. Dude, yeah. Christopher Kizanove uh, is the C A Z E N O V E. Right, uh, that's how you say it. Is that's what I said? Yeah. Uh, that's uh, thank you. Um, uh, he comes in for like what three scenes and yeah. just totally, as Arthur said, lands the plane. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's mm-hmm. very a sturdy hand on the wheel for like some very kind of broad emotional beats, but absolutely compelling. Absolutely, and, and and you know there's there's all these little bits that are fun. Even when you have like the ridiculous Frenchman in the bar, mm-hmm. uh, they're they're perfect for what they're mm-hmm. wanting to do. And so they're there's they're really just pitch perfect and nailing tone every time it comes when they are making these little tonal shifts between um, slapstick to something more of a situational kind of comedy, back to drama, back to romance. Every single beat there uh, absolutely hits, and of course the needle drops. As we've already mentioned, they're just they're too good. They're fun. They're, they're just they're just they're too good. They're too perfect. And again, I think that anachronism uh, increases our interest in this. Um, by the by, yes. there is a, a little medieval fair group in Norman, where I happen to live, um, called the Society for Creative Anachronism, and that's what they do is they put on little um, foam rubber sword melee fights and try to sort of joust at each other and whatnot. And they're very very fun people. That's fun. So um, just FYI, that just I don't know. Blessings to you all. Um, with that, uh, you now know uh, what we think about this movie, and we think it's pretty all right. Uh, with that being said, we're going to move on to the next part of our show, which is called Expanding the Syllabus. Dalton, can you explain what that's all about? I sure can. This is the part of the show where we deliver on the promise of our premise. Uh, we talk about the films you would never discuss in a film studies course, and we're going to do it in a film studies type way anyway. Uh, so a Knight's Tale, probably not going to make it into, you know, heady academic discussions. Uh, but why not? Is what we say. So now we're going to present some classes that might pull this film in, other films kind of in its orbit, other fictional works, uh, other essays, uh, you know, anything kind of tangentially related to the film. Uh, We're just going to try to create a syllabus that reflects... uh, kind of an arch, an overarching theme that ties into a knight's tale. Very good, very good. And with that, Arthur, are you prepared with the syllabus, my friend? I am, and I think I might stick this into. I could maybe do this in a genre film course. I don't know. Uh, you might could do. Such I a maybe thing. could do that. Uh, but I think we would actually look at sports movies. We'd talk about sports <laughs> movies. We'd look at formulas. Uh, we'd kind of just go back through uh, time and history to kind of look at 
I guess really probably the rise and evolution of of the sport movie, maybe by the seventies. I would say. I know we have some early stuff, probably, but I mean, there's a Kura Kurosawa's got a judo movie in the sixties. Yeah, late I mean, 50s. Which, there's uh, that Gilligan's Island meets the Harlem Globetrotters thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I mean, that's an option. Did you but. know that uh, Johnny Toe did like a loose remake of that movie? No. The Hong Kong filmmaker? Yeah, I, I think not. it's called Hardcore or something like that. Oh, yeah. Man, yeah. you know what? But it's the same premise. It's like a judo practitioner is down on his luck. Vaguely re- rings a bell, yeah. But I think you're right to go to the 70s, Arthur, because I mean, Rocky's I mean, huge. Yeah, and it's so influential on Rocky, this Raging Bull, yeah. you know, uh, Downhill Racer, I think is 70s or 80s. And Over the top, the arm wrestling movie. Yeah, 100%. You know, <laughs> no holds barred. You know. Uh, but we'd be taking a look, I think, at non-traditional sport movies to keep in the spirit of mm. A Knight's Tale, which is the most non-traditional of the sports movies. Uh, and I think we'd uh, kick it off uh, with a little bit of a poker movie, and we'd talk rounders. Yeah. Uh, we would look at how that film uh Incorporates rounders over Molly's game. You think 100 100 all day, every day, <laughs> all day, every day. I wanted that or Casino Royale. No, no I, I wanted to hear you say it. <laughs> no disrespect to Jessica Chastain, who no. is great in that movie. All but disrespect to Aaron Sorkin. All disrespect to Aaron. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think we start. I think rounders is just fun. I think it keeps it a little more in the spirit of of a Knight's Tale too. Mm-hmm. Um, but to take a look at that and the way that's structured out, we also get a big hammy villain with Malkovich, uh, which is a lot of fun. Uh, but the uh, underground. Uh, scene of uh, of gambling and poker is just a fun world, I think, mm-hmm. and to kind of give that the sports uh, structure, the underdog overcoming the uh, reigning champ is a, is a fun place to go. Uh, from there, uh, we would do a, a little trifecta, I think, and we'd take a look at Bring It On, Pitch Perfect, and Whip It. Nice. Uh, a nice, fun, uh, female-led uh, trifecta of uh, cheer, uh, acapella, and... Uh, Derby, roller derby, roller derby, yeah, and just seeing how that all comes together and, and exploring different things, some coming of age, three fun uh, movies, some fun comedy, yeah, and just uh, some you know nice cult high school type movies. Uh, I think that'd be a good uh, good place to go. We take a look at movies playing intentionally with the sports movie nice uh, formula, and so I think we'd take a look at specifically Blades of Glory uh, from the Will Ferrell era of making uh, movies out of non-subjects uh, such as this and Anchorman and his little run here that he did uh, in the early aughts. So we take a look at Blaze of Glory and Dodgeball. Nice. Uh, one of those movies I know has not aged well, but uh, we'd still take a look. <laughs> I don't know about Blades of Glory. I'm assuming not, but... You know, one of those movies has the distinction of being a movie I watched on my honeymoon. <laughs> uh, it is Dodgeball, and I can't yeah. confirm. It did not uh, age no. well. <laughs> not at all. Uh, there are moments that were... Rip Torn, though. I, Rip Torn, great. Uh, Jason Bateman. It's got bits. Yeah, it's, it's got, got some bits. good stuff. Let's let's see. <laughs> Pretty unconventional. Let's see where he goes with this, Scotty. You can dodge a wrench. You can dodge a ball. See, that works out for him, Scott. Yeah. yeah uh, speaking of Jason Bateman, though, we'd also take a look at Bad Words. Oh, yeah. A movie that he directed about spelling bees and an elder uh, middle-aged man beating out a bunch of kids at spelling bees and taking all the glory <laughs> in the world for it. Uh, and I think that sort of darker protagonist uh, leads us right into Britney Runs a Marathon, uh, where oh, yeah. we have another flawed protagonist who is trying to deal with a lot of self stuff and to do so uh, gets into uh, a marathon and takes up running and tries to better herself through that uh, it's just a great movie if Looks you haven't good. seen it yeah. yeah it's 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 so uh super solid uh we get back into comedy uh and, and kind of go into best uh, in show nice we would take a look nice. uh there i love that movie so much uh, it's, it's like the world of uh Dogs <laughs> and dog uh, dog shows. Dog felites. Dog felites. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Christopher Guest really had a crazy run with like that for your consideration. Um, Mighty Wind. Mighty Wind. Yeah, it was just that yeah. that run of mockumentaries from the late aughts or, or late nineties, early aughts. Yeah. Just crazy. Um, we we throw it back to a classic. We'd have to take a look at the Hustler. We'll get a little pool going, Ooh, a little billiards going. Okay, I like pool. Uh, and we finally end in the most non-sport movie of them all with the sports movie formula, and that is the recently released Air. Uh, of course. Um, from Ben Affleck, which has the formula, is sport adjacent, uh, but is all about uh, whether or not Nike can win the big one. Spoiler alert, they did. <laughs> what? As I have Nike shoes on my feet at this very yes. moment. Um, but yeah, that's what we do. We look at the non-traditional sports movies, we look at sport movie formulas, and we would just play with that genre 
across the board. I I, I love your syllabus, Arthur. And I think what I would might uh, suggest to you for an assignment or something like this in this class in which you're doing the sports movies thing is uh, maybe Queen's Gambit uh, to watch the series Mm. and uh, use that chess movie thing. You know, Searching for Bobby Fischer doesn't quite have the same formula, I think. Gotcha. Queen's Gambit might be something. I was thinking chess movies, too, but I I haven't seen enough. I mean... Pawn Sacrifice is okay. I thought of that. uh, I think I Queen of Cotway. But I haven't seen that one, so I wasn't really sure. But Pawn Sacrifice is more of a kind of a legal, like a spy thriller, right? Not really. No, oh, it really? is pretty much it's pretty straightforward chess oh. movie, and like a you know an autobiography like of a troubled person. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. but yeah, I like that. Very cool. Very cool. I like Fun. that syllabus a lot, Arthur. Um, Dalton, do you come prepared with the syllabus, my friend? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think this is a module. I don't think you could do a full class with this, but I definitely want to do something about uh, anachronisms and historical fiction. So maybe this is a a unit in like a larger historical fiction class. Uh, maybe it's a unit in a period pieces class, but I, I definitely think you could teach an entire you know couple of weeks on just anachronistic depictions of the past uh, because this one's so good, and I think there's a really kind of strong run of these over the last twenty years or so. Uh, it kind of starts with this. Um, Ever After is another one from this era that's kind of in the mm, same mold. Yep. Uh, I mean, these uh, Moulin Rouge, same era, uh, but, you know, Amadeus a little bit earlier, um, but even something like uh, Wild Wild West, mm. uh, Monty Python, oh, yeah. yeah, Monty Python, the Holy Grail, uh, all the way up to things like uh, Marie Antoinette, Django Unchained, and Inglorious Bastards, uh, The Favorite. Uh, the Yoris Lanthimos film, which yeah. I love. So good. Uh, and even the, the Apple TV series Dickinson, which is pretty, the Emily, Emily Dickinson show, that's mm-hmm. pretty, goes pretty loosely based on her life story as of seasons two and three, because uh, there's just not a whole lot there. Uh, they, but uh, very anachronistic. All these films. Uh, oh, and I forgot to mention Elvis, speaking of Moulin Rouge and Baz Luhrmann. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I like all of these movies to varying degrees, but I think they're all interesting in trying to make the the past feel immediate. And I think that's what anachronisms can often do for us is they especially in something like A Knight's Tale where it is explicitly being done to build a bridge for modern audiences. It is trying to help us see how that world is not too dissimilar from our own. Uh and I think all of these films do that whether it's sort of the um quasi-reality show, cinematography of the favorite, uh, Django's hip-hop soundtrack and sunglasses, you know, well, Django or Wild Wild West, for that matter. Uh, you know, all, all of these films are, are doing something to try to bring us into a place. And uh, it's I, I saw something funny that I, I was going to save for analysis, but I think is worth bringing up now as we're, we're talking about this. Um, when Hegland was, uh, you know, showing the script to people, uh, I guess the, the pop, some of the pop songs were like in the script because uh, they didn't get clearances for everything they wanted to use. Mm-hmm. And somebody told him like, but why would you, you can't do this. This mm-hmm. is dumb. And he was like, well, what would you use? And they were like, okay, an orchestral score. He's like, well, that is just as dumb. They didn't have cellos or violins or brass sections. That's it's just, you know, 300 years less anachronistic than my 600 years anachronistic. So why not go all the way in? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I go thought that go home. Yeah. We're, uh, here's his quote. I didn't want to present it as an alien world, but a world the audience would recognize elements of and see that they're the same as elements of their own. Uh, and I think this film does that really well. Uh, not all of the films uh, on the list that I, I've called out. I've seen Marie Antoinette. The Sofia Coppola film mm-hmm. is one I've been needing to get caught up with. Uh, but I think all of these are kind of in a similar vein doing that. Um, Holy Grail even kind of the least doing it, but still trying to to tie in uh, modern elements or then modern elements into into very old stories and, and you know, uh, turning them on their heads and introducing literally modern elements at other points of the film. Uh, anyway, all these stories uh, give us something as, as far as that, that bridge between then and now. And uh, I think you could, again, maybe not enough for a full class, but I think a module on sort of how these these choices function within fiction and within, in this case, films. Um, I, I think there's some interesting ones in there. Dustin, how would you teach A Knight's Tale? I would, uh, I think, uh, I love that you gave the quote about the screenplay having the drops in it because mm-hmm. I would use it in a screen, screenwriting course as a module about needle drops. Oh, nice. Uh, and just simply to discuss the use of the needle drop and the ways in which, the various ways in which they're deployed. Uh, of course, you can be good with Martin Scorsese. 
Um, which it really begins with Kenneth Anger and the use of contemporary music and film as sort of a new kind of thing there in the 60s into the 70s uh, as, as sort of just to frame it um, uh, historically uh, as beginning there. And then to think about just, again, some great needle drops. Obviously, um, there's the Anthrax needle drop recently in uh, the It movie. Oh, yeah. It, which is which is fantastic. Uh, the Well, we mentioned off air the Bad the Bone needle drop in uh, Terminator 2, which, uh, of course, works. My favorite needle drop of all time is when Squints Paladoris kisses Wendy Peppercorn after um, faking a need for CPR, mm-hmm. and this magic moment drops. Uh, I could hear it in my head as soon as you said Wendy peppercorn yeah 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 it's 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 just it's the ways in which they are deployed for uh effective like stinging out the um the, the humor or the uh, emotional sort of, you know, freight of, of a moment and the ways in which they work intertextually, I think is really mm. interesting. Also the ways in which uh, you can use them to create an aesthetic, mm. you know, and so you might think about the ways in which Quentin Tarantino uses these uh, sort of 60s, 70s uh, pop songs uh, in a specific kind of way alongside something like maybe Gardens of the Galaxy, uh, which really, really works quite well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and you know, we could, we could, I mean, we could definitely crowdsource this and talk sure. about your favorite needle drops in very various moments of film, but the ways in which, again, they're deployed to either, again, create a, an overall arching aesthetic, and even ways in which they might fail at that. I'm yeah, looking, you pulling Suicide Squad, right? Su- well, I was actually thinking more Captain Marvel. Sure, And sure. Uh, the way, you know, it sort of invokes the 90s in kind of this pandery kind of way mm, that doesn't yeah. quite effectively yeah. work. And so thinking about that kind of stuff as well. And then just uh, the movie of the moment, right? The way in which uh, the single sac- soundtrack really does reflect the 90s, out of the 90s, uh, and that grunge scene uh, at that time, or you know the, the Crow soundtrack for that sort of emerging sort of goth subculture mm-hmm. of the early 1990s. Those, those are also really kind of interesting ways in which you can think about this. And of course, the relationship of the original soundtrack to... Mm-hmm. Um, necessarily the needle drops in a film. Sure. Uh, because not all those songs are necessarily in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when they are, there's sometimes just little bits and pieces here and yep. there. Um, so it would be just sort of the, the use of popular music. Uh, we would also, of course, have to then talk about rights acquisitions and the way that works. Sure. And uh, that way, just uh, students would be aware and understand that. But that would be a, a little mini module uh, within a course on screenwriting, I would think. So there you go, dear listener. Your syllabus just got much longer. I think it's now time to get down. To business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. It's business well, time. I like your syllabus. Uh, do you want to keep talking about that for a little bit? Like what makes a good needle drop? Which what makes these so effective? Because we've complained about them on the show before. Sure. Uh, um, man, that, it, it, is it sort of what is it sort of like the Supreme Court and pornography? You just kind of know it when you see it. Yeah, you know it when it works. You feel it. Yeah, yeah right. I mean, we lamented this after you and I saw Air together, mm-hmm. and we both kind of commented on the fact that there's about 25 needle drops, roughly one every three minutes. It feels like wow, yeah. there's a lot. Uh, some of them work. Yeah, but then some of them just feel kind of like you said about Captain Marvel, pandery. I think just like, hey, it's an '80s movie. Don't forget. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. And like, here, and maybe it, again, it's because it's such a you know an anachronistic clash with everything else. But they they all hit. Even something as silly as like, oh, we're all going back to London. Cue the boys are back yeah. in town. But it follows like a really sincere emotional beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like it kind of works within the flow of the movie to kind of have this kind of rousing, you know, song that everybody knows kind of yeah. jumpstart the third act of the film after after an emotional flashback. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Does it, you know, does it thematically underscore what we're seeing? Mm-hmm. Does it further develop the themes that are you know playing out right now? Or is it just window dressing? Yeah, I think it's kind of what you get into with with needle drops uh, because I think here all of them, you know, really do speak to the moment, you know, that kind of arrival at the joust and we get, we will rock you. Yeah. It's a, it just a perfect to- opening I mean, for this. Movie. It is because it really sets the mood. You know, that idea, I think I don't know if you explicitly mentioned, but you know, he talks, the director talked about how he's using these, these needle drops to recreate. This is the kind of stuff like, this is how they would have got hyped up. Like yeah. it would have been their music, but we're using our music to kind of reinforce that understanding to bridge that gap and bring in a modern audience. Yeah. And I, I mean, man, an arena anthem like no other, and mm. we will rock you. And so I, I think it is that that allows it to underscore, you know, we get taken care of business later. I think we get the Bowie drop mm-hmm. um, at the dance. And I think all of these just further serve the story. 
rather mm-hmm. than just feeling tacked on in post. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, the, the, right. it really does be, it has to be something that either you're going to play really on mm-hmm. as part of the film, or you're simply going to touch nostalgia without overplayed familiarity. Yeah. Right. Uh, so you can have a moment like Remember the Titans with Ain't No Mountain High Enough, and it becomes uh, a recurring kind of motif throughout the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that that's really part of what makes it genuinely so work. Yeah, yeah, make it very effective. Or you can use... Um, again, something that's familiar, but it's not just not that familiar. You know, the Huga Chaka song that's in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Mm. You know, uh, uh, Hooked on a Feeling. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't get the name out yeah. of the top of my head. But everyone knows that song, but we haven't, I haven't listened to that song until that that film yeah. comes out. It, it, there's a way in which it's sort of nostalgia, but I, ha- I haven't heard it in a while, and I kind of miss that song. Um, the other way I think it really is effective to use a needle drop is to use a needle drop of a cover when you're trying to do an aesthetic. So uh, I, I'm, sure, I'm thinking sure. specifically of the Something in the Way in the Batman. Um, okay. That, the Nirvana yeah, cover, which is really good, useful. Uh, oh, yeah. John Wick 4 just did, uh, you know, they, they there's a uh, needle drop of Paint It Black, and at first I was like, oh, come on, really, guys? But it's a it's like a kind of really kind of more upbeat French cover of it. Mm, so mm-hmm. it's you're like, oh, okay. So that's the, you know, the overuse of that song throughout media, like kind of works in its favor to, right. to like, as you're saying, the, the deploying of the cover can do you a lot of favors. Well, you can aesthetically again, sort of adjust it to the, yeah. to the knee of the film. Like the lyrically it's fine, but aesthetically it would be off. Um, where is, the, what is the Walmart movie with the girl who has the baby? Stepmom? Wal- no, uh, the Natalie Portman movie. Yeah. Where the um, heart is. That's what it's where called. Where the heart is. Garth yeah. Brooks is a cover of a Bob Dylan song. Okay. Um, to make you feel my love yeah. on the, on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dylan wouldn't have worked, but Garth totally Does. worked. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's and, and, but the, the text itself of the lyrics works, but it wouldn't be, it wouldn't, you know, Dylan singing through his nose and yeah. that sort of folky thing is not going to translate the same way that Garth Brooks does to a Walmart yeah. movie. Yeah. It's funny to bring this up because I think a lot of, uh, if you're familiar with Matt Singer and his ongoing uh, series of sad, sad covers and movie trailers. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is kind of what I'm thinking of, right? Because he's, that's become the marketing trend is to use some slowed down cover of uh, a song to sell a movie and sometime to find, I, I, Say my name on the Candyman on the trailer. Candyman. Slap. Perfect. I mean, yeah. it is a jam. Really good. Uh, but I saw the trailer for The Covenant, uh, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, with a mm. very slow, dragged out cover of "I Won't Back Down" um, by mm. Tom Petty. Mm-hmm. Right, and it's just like doesn't work. Like, yeah, that song is already pretty effective and and would have worked in the context, but to like make that's this a weird like, trailer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so seen it a lot. But yeah, I, I do think the cover can be. I mean, Sons of Anarchy. I mean, TV mm. did this for a long time. Sure. Some of the market was really noted, like big episodes, big finales, big third acts. Everybody like, had a cover of running of, up that hill and everything at yeah. one point. Yeah, uh, you know they did House of the Rising Sun and Son of a Preacher. I mean, just you know that's a real FX shows thing too. I feel like a lot of is FX it? shows, yeah, do that is uh, have a you know a, a bunch of key plot points kick off at the same time to a montage of a cover. Yeah, yeah. but you can use a cover ineffectively. There's um. I think The Departed is quite nearly a perfect film, but the uh, needle drop of Comfortably Numb by Pink Floyd is mm. done by a cover band uh, in the love scene there uh, with Vera Farmiga and Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio and takes me out of it. Speaking sure. of love songs and needle drops, uh, we can talk about Hallelujah. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, the Leonard <laughs> Cohen version of Hallelujah. The most Watchmen. notoriously despised needle drop, I think, in a film. Yeah, that's yeah. a pretty rough one. I didn't even think about it, but you're right to bring it up because it is awful. Yeah, really, just like what? What are we doing here, folks? <laughs> we we just don't we don't listen to the song at all, or what? And additionally to that, do you think needle drops are more effective when they are kind of classic known? I mean, we kind of talked about this when we talked about the one, mm-hmm. which had that kind of very notorious two thousand and one new metal soundtrack. Yeah. And Daredevil yeah. does a very similar thing, a lot of Evanescence, very of the time mm-hmm. sort of music. Do you think that can hinder the movie? Well, it depends on whether or not it's like again. I think about singles, right? Which yeah. is really much, very much capturing a uh, snapshot of a moment in time. But that doesn't seem to be the real overall intention of a movie like Daredevil. 
right? Mm-hmm. Or the new metal of the one. And so it does, it dates it in a weird way it, when you're not even really making a film that's seeking out datedness, mm-hmm. seeking out sort of capturing an historical uh, movement or cycle. Yep. And so I, I think that's that's part of it as well. And again, I, I think familiarity is good, but it doesn't have to be familiar. Whitney Houston covers I Will Always Love You. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's not one of Darley's uh, slash Willie's best songs or best known songs. Uh, I mean, I think Dolly does a great job, and I think country diehards are familiar with it. Yeah. But most people going into the Bodyguard don't know "I Will Always Love You," and so for them, it's a new song, new discovery. That is the definitive version for uh, a generation, a generation, yeah. right? Yeah. And okay, uh, that's the version that I know. I've always known best. Yeah, yeah. it's the first one I heard. And, and 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 so I guess it kind of depends on how it's deployed. And I'm, again, it, we come down to our Supreme Court pornography definition again. It's, mm. It works when it works. Yeah. And that this is a problem that you have as a screenwriter, I suppose, because nobody knows nothing, Louis B. Mayer. And uh, so we don't know if uh, it's going to work or not. And uh, what we think might work might end up not playing out quite so well. Now, I'm thinking of a jousting montage where people keep getting knocked off of horses and let the bodies hit the floors play. <laughs> oh, yeah. How's that work for you? I, I, I thought you were going to do Chumbawamba's I Get Knocked Down. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, pretty, that's the training montage. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then there's a scene at the bar, and they're pissing the night away, and it's a whole thing. <laughs> Works less well. I'm picturing it. I'm not, not selling. Uh, yeah, I don't think it holds together. Okay, uh, well. but you're right though. I mean, Hegland uh, kind of took a, a swing on this. Yeah, and it, to dad rock though specifically. I yeah, mean, big you time. Know, he didn't go to 2000 aughts rock. Well, and I think importantly, I think that era of music has become so associated with you know stadiums. With you know, obviously, yeah. Over the last 20, 30 years, stadium music has become a little bit more pop or and hip hop oriented. But the you know sort of the seventies arena rock jams mm-hmm. were well, big hair metal a, songs, yeah, and, big yeah. part of the sports going experience. Well, through the eighties, nineties, and, and aughts until you know sort of the takeover of pop and hip hop and electronic music. This does make me think about uh, the Peter Pan movie you made me watch part of Arthur, in which um, part of smells like Teen Spirit. Have you I, seen this? I'm aware of this. Yes, I started watching it one day. It got to the there's two drops. There's smells like Teen Spirit, and then there's oh, what was the other one? I remember you showing it to me, but there's it's Nirvana, it's, and then there's a second. Anyway, and it's like, what is happening? <laughs> what is happening here? What yeah. is going on? And it's in just this the movie. As, as far I, I didn't finish wow. the movie, but as far as <laughs> yeah. I can tell, I've seen Hugh Jackman jumping up on top of sticks or whatever, yeah. and screaming, "Here we are now, entertain us!" Yeah, yeah. pretty wild. But I, I, you say that though, <laughs> and I could see a version of. I mean, Queen is the better choice, but here's the crowd, and they're coming in. Here we are now, entertain us. Like, there's a way in which maybe that would be the choice that would be made, and I think it would be less effective. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, rather than we will rock you, which is obviously like the one to go for. Uh, for that so anyway there's there's a lot to think about when you think about the needle drop as just simply uh intertextuality again and mm. just effectiveness um patrick wilhelm did a whole video on this oh on, well, I, I like on needle drops the complete guide to pop music needle drops in movies hmm i'm trying to think if i've watched that one i don't think i have yeah he's good i like him yeah i have not seen that particular video um let's move on and uh talk about some of the other things going on in the film so needle drops are again i think the key aesthetic uh to the film so i'm glad we spent so much time i mean you know i think the the, the fashion is definitely part of the aesthetic mm-hmm. but i i think again the, the, it's a blending of modern and and um Renaissance fair. Well, yeah, exactly. Middle Ages, Ren Fair is a funny way to put it. Uh, But yeah, it's definitely... They they link up together the soundtrack and the the production design, for sure. Absolutely. I guess, you know, the the huge uh, thematic key there is changing your stars. This idea Mm -hmm. of um, class seems to be at the heart of the film. And I don't know if there's more to be said about it, because I I don't know... It's not subtext, it's text, right? Um, That the, the film is that this guy's a peasant, therefore he can't play the game but he's just as good and so it becomes in some ways uh, an integration film yeah. you know it becomes a well film much like 42 with the same screenwriter mm-hmm. in which you're you know there's no reason why this person cannot play um, it's just because we have arbitrary rules and that class itself is an arbitrary set of rules yeah and you know Chaucer even points this out when he's doing one of his introductions at the you know they're sitting up on their fancy seats or whatever and you're mm-hmm. just standing out here and, and you know he's calling Lords attention and to ladies the, and the rest of you not sitting on the yeah, cushion right? yeah yeah so yeah i think it's pretty much forefront in the text but i mean that's a big part i think a big part of chaucer's i mean in the canterbury tales yeah, as well. absolutely uh this point was actually there's a pretty good right around an hour long video essay um 
that I, I saw for uh, on a Knight's Tale. I think it's just called We Will Rock You. Uh, but it's um, oh shoot, I thought I had written down the. Uh, I'll see if I can't find it later. Uh, but anyway, uh, sort of a fun point that I saw made in the comments of that video was that it's it's not really it is about changing your stars and sort of a class elevation movie but it's not like a bootstraps movie the bootstraps are the friends we made along the way was right the exact comment which i thought was really funny but it is very much a a unit of people come together to better all of their lives yeah uh you know it's will will is one part of a larger team of a blacksmith and trainers and you know uh, horse tenders artist a starving artists who, who are his hype beast uh yeah i mean it's a whole team making the ulrich von lichtenstein slash william thatcher uh, sports dream come true mm-hmm. and it's it's fun that it, it you know obviously there's beats within the text that are just people hanging out but it's cool that 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 kind of vibey people chit-chatting and messing with each other you know uh singing songs that vibe is kind of interwoven with this larger theme of this group of people coming together mm-hmm. uh, and I, I think it, it really works it's kind of just sound construction for the film to have Absolutely. Um, the other thing I think that we might want to talk about for a second with this film is just its uh, literary intertextuality. Uh, the obvious uh, reference here is Jeffrey Chaucer, and we have the summoner and the pardoner who are, you know, he's going to, you know, eviscerate them throughout all of yeah. history, which is great, and they definitely are treated the most poorly in the Canterbury Tales. But there's a, there's a, there's a Shakespearean idea. This idea of changing one's stars is uh, from about a century later, so... Uh, from Chaucer's dates, that mm-hmm. is. And so we have this sort of Shakespearean element that's combined in here, and also the Lancelot and Guinevere, those uh, French romances Narrative, yeah. that were inspirations to Chaucer to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so, and then, you know, it's, what is it, the Duchess's uh, tale, the Duchess's daughter? What is the, what is the uh, poem that he's like, do you know my book? And they don't... Oh, know. yeah. I, I, forget, I forget my Chaucer... Mm-hmm. Details. Yeah. I'm, unless I'm teaching it, I don't. He keep only wrote it. the one thing. I, <laughs> I just don't keep the details in my head unless I'm teaching yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but right, uh, let's keep it real. Um, yeah. We're always pretending. But uh, like Will Thatcher, mm-hmm. we're always pretending. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Um. By the way, it's uh, Lady Knight the Brave is the YouTube account that uh, did that essay on Knight's Tale. Really solid stuff. Cool. Talks about the anachronisms that we've all talked about. Talks about some of the metatextual stuff. Talks about sort of the Canterbury Tales and how they kind of relate into this. Not really. Is not the... really, yeah, because the Knight's Tale is not the Knight's no, Tale. And... Not at all. It's about... just some fun references to Chaucer's work. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And it, but a fun idea to put a real historical figure in the text and kind yeah. of make him... Well, I think the idea here is like, what, what Chaucer disappears for a six-month to a year yeah. span and this is kind of like, what did what he get if? to? What if yeah. he did this? It's yeah. a fun... It, it's the if. RRR of, of Jeffrey Chaucer. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the intertextuality of this is not so much referential. It's not so much like you need to go back and read the Canterbury Tales to sort of gain additional meaning meaning or depth yeah. to this or read um you know any that their fault is in their stars from the 12th night from uh, shakespeare or star-crossed lovers that we might encounter in romeo and juliet uh this idea you know i defy you stars is a great line romeo's got in defiance uh about the third or fourth act of that play it's not really doing that so much as it is doing the reference as easter egg which is uh part of the entire milieu of the film that's this postmodern mm-hmm. sort of mix-up that it's doing uh there's this various sort of homages um, that are, again, references for the sake of reference, reference for the sake of fun. It's just, oh, summoner and a pardon, partner. Okay, I, I, if I know Chaucer, I know that, but if I don't, it's just like, well, I know he's a writer and he's going to write things, and apparently he's mean to these two guys, or at least versions this of This is them. a Marvel film for a very specific type of nerd. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that, no, they, there's the partner. <laughs> <laughs> the same enthusiasm when I saw Howard the Duck and the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> Stinger. <laughs> So, yeah, that's a lot of fun uh, there. Um, it also deals with gender, I think, in interesting ways. We talked about class. Sure. So the armorer's issue there is, is yeah. you know. Kate, and, the, Kate. the armorer, the, fair, and, the Ferris. And then the same with Jocelyn, right? Mm-hmm. That she's like, don't, again, don't, don't, don't shush me and, and allow him. You know, yeah. that's, that's not, that's not going to be okay. She's definitely not a prize to be won. And she's going to play the game. Yeah. Just as much as they're going to play the game. But, you know, to, you know, hold the movie holds feet to the fire on the same hand as it is, you know, trying its best. It is very much a screenplay written by a dude who only asks so many people probably. And it does very much become like, well, there's two types of women in this movie, your girlfriend and the widow widow. That's, right. That's it. Those are the types of lady that exist. Who's going to function as kid sister. Yeah, right. exactly. Become one of the guys, which is fine. I mean, that's, you know, there's, there's not as bad of a history of, 
of sort of that dynamic in fiction mm-hmm. of that being a, a bad dynamic. Like, but it is a little difficult to find some double X chromosomes. Yeah. 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 But and again, just to give them a little bit more life, I think both characters could use, you know, as much as, I mean, Watts about as underserved as the two of them, you know? Sure. So yeah. it's not, it's not a, a problem specific to the female characters, but you know, it does sort of feel like we get quite a bit of Roland and Chaucer and William. It definitely makes you kind of wish that Kate, and Jocelyn and Watt got just a little bit more. Uh, and again, especially Jocelyn and Kate, just because there's only so many women in the film. Uh, we walk right up to the line of the Bechdel test because uh, there's a moments where uh, Jocelyn and her handmaiden, uh, Bernice Brigitte Bejeau, talk uh, together alone, but they are talking about dudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, two, uh, swing two, and a miss. Two thirds of a Bechdel. Yeah, we got there. We got, <laughs> we got right up to the line. <laughs> But, you know, it is a sports movie, and uh, that's how it goes. Sports movies are generally interested in men's sports, and this is definitely no exception. Sure. Uh, I, I, I think you're right to highlight what it does right, though, Dustin. Mm-hmm. I just kind of wanted to be like, yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, I mean, no, no, it fumbles. It, 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 it does what it does. You know, yeah. it, it's still, it is still part of a Hollywood formula there, yeah. and, um, and therefore it has all the foibles associated. There's also this fun little background thing happening between Roland and uh, Christiana, the handmaiden. Yeah, yeah. Which is a fun little bit. That's kind of a cute in the background. Yeah, you see them doing things, flirting and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's fun. Yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, The other thing I was going to mention here is what what, sort of a thing that we've been kicking around um, in general, but I want to sort of say it very specifically is the way in which the needle drops and the use of the costuming and the use of anachronism and uh, the use of I'm going to say vulgarity in general seems to be yeah. part of the point of the film is that this was ye olden times, but the ye olden times were not the Victorian era. The ye olden times were um, a, a, a season where there was potty jokes. There mm. was fart jokes. There were body body and rowdy rowdy. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and so I, I think the communicative effort there is to say when we when we read Chaucer, when we think about Shakespeare's time, you know, my think, man's got jokes about farting out of windows, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah right in a man's face. <laughs> um, Very funny. Uh, so that that piece of it, though, I, I think is communicative quite effectively. Mm-hmm. Is that when we think about that time, we need not think that it's quite so uptight, prim and proper. That there there was a there was. Again, a, a certain, you know, vulgar, um, what's the word I'm looking for, common speech that was part of the culture as well at that time. Well, you know, Chaucer, I, I learned this in my research for the, about the movie, but, uh, you know, he's kind of credited with getting written English to be a thing, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the, the educated were writing and reading Latin and French. Right. Uh, or so, Italian, yeah. Yeah. So it is interesting that, like, it is the common people's fiction that, like, sort of uh, cements this gutter language <laughs> as a you know a permanent or not well who knows permanent but at least a growing fixture of the world which comes back to sort of one of our central thesis of the show uh that i think we want to i want to make sure i make a point of you know we talk about high art and high literature of culture of a moment that this stuff was the this this was the uh, hangover you know poem of <laughs> the, the the 14th 15th century that it was it was a moment in which uh this stuff was really sort of um plebeian mm-hmm. in, in its focus yeah. and you know you think about again the sort of high victorian era Tr- charles dickens novels were just they were just they weren't literary at that time yeah. uh, mary shelley's frankenstein it was not it was a horror book nothing's and, literary until somebody puts it on a shelf absolutely and and, gate, and gate keeps it and gay keeps it. Now, <laughs> now, again, I'm a big fan of highly experimental, super intellectual and cerebral stuff. I mean, yeah. I, I think there's a value to that, and I, and I think it's it's useful and, and thoughtful, but it doesn't have the cultural cachet. It does not change the world in the same way that popular stuff happens. You know, I mean, the the, the sort of uh, tagline to the PCA, the Pop Culture Association, is if it ain't popular, if it, if it isn't popular, they don't say ain't. If it isn't popular, it's not culture. But uh, I'll go and say the ain't if it ain't popular it ain't culture that's what we 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 need to recognize here is that we need to pay attention to the stephen kings and clive cusslers we need to pay attention to the tom clancy's we need to pay attention to uh the zach galifianakis's and others of this particular moment in which we live in because that's going to be the stuff that's influential now, there's going to be some high literary stuff that's going to be important that we need to pay attention tony morrison remains difficult and challenging and 
thoroughly important. But her gothic ghost story is nothing like the gothic ghost story of The Shining in terms of its t- total sort of cultural influence. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Sure. And we we need to continue to say, okay, well, there's that, but we also need Jordan Peele. Mm. There's that, but we also need these other, you know, sort of components there. And this film, I think, is making some of that case is that, listen, this stuff that we're talking about here was just the, again, the, the what we used to call the um, late night comedies of the 80s. It's it, That's yeah. the kind of stuff Chaucer was writing. Yeah. I don't know. And there no, you go. Jeffrey that... Chaucer's right on the shelf next to Todd Phillips. I mean, he, Dustin said it, not me, but, you know, he's, he's also, a professor. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think he's onto something at some level. <laughs> he is. Um, this is not really anything, just kind of a fun shot choice I wanted to bring up. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the final, uh, you know, I think it's the very final. It's, you know, the Adamar versus William after he's been knighted by Prince Edward. Mm-hmm. Which uh, is a great moment. There's, there's some bit of, uh, you know, Adamar looking grim and menacing after he's broken the tip of the lance off and is getting ready to skewer Will. And then there's a big shot of a cross on a church, just a real big (laughs) God is watching shot. And you know I love a God is watching shot. You know I love that kind of flourish. And then, of course, it falls down. Uh, The camera tracks down onto Will and is very much a God's on Will side shot uh, instead, which I'm less a fan of. Uh, But again, just fun visual language stuff. There's a lot of moments in this movie where you're like, okay, Brian Hegland, like... You know, again, wrote, produced, and directed this, and uh, he definitely turned in a real movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's a dang. All the money's on the screen, and uh, it's it's a film that, like, you know, while not groundbreaking, it definitely has flourishes at, from a filmmaking level, and, and is you know competent. You know, there's not really a missed beat for me. I think it pretty much hums. Is you know, even if it's a retread of other stuff, I think it's uni- very uniquely itself. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you know some threads are kind of thin, sure. Uh, but again, I just think visually, like really, I, I, I get what or Arthur's coming from with the falls uh, and the you know the jousting. Just sort of you know, there's only your mileage may vary, viewer to viewer on that. But I think he's onto something with you know they they really have to do a lot of work to keep it to make it interesting yeah yeah but i I think outside of that you know whether it's the dance sequence and we all you know you know how i feel about a dance sequence every film should have one uh whether it's that uh or you know just uh the the wide shot in the church is i'm a big fan of when uh jocelyn and william are kind of having the house of god oh no it's the (laughs) that one's great too but it's actually the later one where it's sort of tracking she's demanding poetry yeah Yeah. where he's she's demanding poetry and don't (laughs) shush me and spare him yeah again just a really fun blocking on that scene the two of them kind of tracking within the frame and we get this really big kind of long wide shot kind of tracking them throughout the church it's just a visually interesting movie when it doesn't have to be yeah um but you know i just wanted to highlight that uh while we're kind of bringing this train to the station yeah it is very very fun as a movie i think we all agree on that but do we agree whether or not it goes on the shelf or in the trash that is the question that is the question um to reference shakespeare yet again so i ask you arthur um to be or not to be (laughs) what do we do to shelf or not to shelf uh a knight's tale yeah i think i would very gently put this on the shelf i think it's got the cultural attache uh, time has been, I think, very favorable to it, and I, I think it stood up very well after 22 years. And, and again, I think it is a wholly unique thing, uh, narratively plotted, uh, anachronistically. I, I think it is a very specific thing that works very well, and I think yeah. it's still a crowd pleaser. So yeah, I would put it on the shelf. Very good, very good. What do you say, Dalton? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, Brian Hegland's a very prolific screenwriter, and I, I think this is far and away his best film that he, I haven't seen 42, and I know people like that one. I like 42. Yeah, but this this really rips. I mm-hmm. mean, this is just, this. I, I know that, that people like that I think like this is one. better than 42. Yeah, I know people like that, though, uh, so I don't want to poo-poo that, but uh, this, yeah, this cooks. Uh, is it a, you know, like a immediate shelving? Yeah, not really. It's probably going to be on you know, streaming. But if you, you happen to be at a, you know, your secondhand video store, your Barnes and Noble or whatever, or, uh, you know, our local ones, vintage stock. But if you happen to see this for pretty cheap, you should pick it up. It's worth having, you know, it's, it's a fun time. And as Arthur said, it's, it's wholly unique to itself, uh, while being inspired by a lot of stuff, mostly Rocky, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but, uh, you know, while, while it's, it's wearing its influences very proudly, I think as Dustin, you've kind of talked about all the things that make it metatextually interesting, and, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the choices throughout that kind of let it stand above its contemporaries. Yeah, I think it's pretty shelfable uh, while, uh, you know, while still a, a little gentle. I'm with Arthur. It's not, you know, 
an essential film, but uh, definitely a crowd pleaser. What about you, Dustin? Well, with all the broken pieces of my heart, I don't think we can have uh, quite a consensus. Ah, that's uh, all right. Because I, I, th- I think it's really, really good, but I don't think you need to own it. I, that's I, fair. Because I think it's going to be streaming forever. Well, yeah, it's a Columbia slash Sony movie, and they don't have, they're never going to have their own service probably, so yeah. Uh, it's going to be streaming forever, and it is very fun. It is very watchable, but it's, it's not going to be the best main... T- yeah. touch point for any of these sort of conversations that we're having right yeah you're you're saying it's it's yeah. life as a cable movie has morphed into life as a streaming movie and right that's probably fine and i and i and i think it's a movie that will continue to be a reference but i don't mm-hmm. think it's as far as academic kind of stuff i, I and i it's not going to be the main choice it's not going to be the best choice yeah for you know any given sort of topic that we've addressed so far if we're talking about class or gender or needle drops even i'll throw you the one here here's the one where i think it's like really useful uh, is to kind of look at like what is interesting about Heath Ledger's career. Well, in a star study, that's a different. Yeah, beast. exactly. Yeah. I think I think that the kind of the trifecta is this: ten things I hate about you, Dark Knight, and right. you well, Brooke 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 Mountain. Yeah. yeah, forget about that. Uh, yeah, but you know he's he's a very versatile actor, and I think this is kind of like a pure. I, I didn't bring up Brokeback because that's like a real actor's performance this is a pure movie star performance mm-hmm. in a lot of ways mm-hmm. and i think this goes a long way to showing his versatility in that regard but you're right that's that's sort of where you have to kind of go to star study to kind of find a a, a, a real spot for this right. i think that's fair i mean in the same thing you could do with hebling you know you could you mm-hmm. say okay i want to i want to run through his filmography mm-hmm. you you might get to this movie that way but that it's that movie. would never come up in discourse I, I don't think so i don't think any of his movies do yeah i mean even la confidential which kind of is just well regarded but it's it not turned into an oscar movie kind of by accident yeah it's like yeah. A, it's a very pulpy genre mm-hmm. picture but I mean, he's a good example of a very postmodern filmmaker. Sure. And uh, because I mean, L.A. Confidential is doing the noir thing, you know, when it's yeah. doing the noir thing. And yeah. So I mean, there's something to that with this particular director. You might be able to make some sort of auteur kind of argument, but it'd be hard to do. Yeah. Uh, and again, even with with Ledger, you know, this movie is third or fourth in line still. Sure. You know, and so I, I like it a lot. I like it a lot. And again, so I, with with great remorse and the, all the broken pieces of my heart, thank you, Jeffrey Chaucer, for that great line. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and softly, gently uh, place it in with weeping. Place it in the trash. Someday soon, we'll 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 get all we'll, all three of us will get something on the shelf again. Any day now, it could happen. It could happen. It's been a while. Was uh, everything everywhere all at once? Was that the last Probably. one? Probably. Probably. Yeah. Well, tell me why wasn't I'm wrong. It eight mile? No, definitely wasn't. <laughs> Speaking of LA we all shelf hidden life, didn't we? Yeah, we did we all do. shelf a hidden life. Okay, yeah, because yeah. it is super and John good. Wick and yeah. the Wicks. oh and the Wicks. Okay, so, so it's not we, been that long. Yeah, but uh, you know. Not this week. But um, if you wish to disagree, feel free, and Dalton will tell you how. That's right. If you want to argue for A Knight's Tale as an essential piece of American cinema, I don't think I'm going to disagree with you too hard. I'm not going to be mad about it. Yeah, so let us know. It's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com for your long-form feedback. That's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com if you want to get a hold of us and let us know what you think about A Knight's Tale. You can also find us over on social media at good trash media on twitter that's at good trash media on twitter we post links to this show uh share articles that we found online that are interesting uh, all kinds of fun stuff over there uh links to other shows in our orbit um live shows when those happen yeah all kinds of fun stuff you can also go to goodtrashmedia.com to see some written content from arthur and dustin occasionally some very old some you know popping up periodically so that's you know that's there if you're interested uh last but certainly not least if you want to help us keep this show going you can go to good trash or i'm sorry patreon.com slash gtm that's patreon.com forward slash gtm and you can get a little bit of information on what being a patron gets you there we go Ooh, words are hard sometimes we're coming into the end of the show you can tell uh it's uh, all kinds of fun stuff whether it's picking a movie for us to discuss on the show or getting a movie selected by us sent to you uh fun stuff awaits for you at patreon.com forward slash gtm if you want to help us keep the lights on uh that's it that's all you need to know about staying in touch with us arthur what do people need to know about watching for next time well next week our potpourri month comes to an end and so we're going to start a new marathon. Is this going to be a marathon you're going to tell us, or is this going to be a marathon we have to guess? No, I'll tell you what it is. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. We're going to bring back one of our most asinine marathons. Yes. When we start part three's part tray. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and we'll be a... kicking it off by lighting cigars and healing scars when we take a look at James Mangold's Logan. Oh, oh, excellent choice. Wow. Way to pick a really great part three. 
I haven't watched that movie in a couple of years. I'm very excited to revisit this. I have this. a Logan poster in my office, so I am stoked. Yeah, I, I have a Logan tattoo on my office. I know you do. <laughs> so. hey, yeah, yeah, you're, you're a fan. You win. You win. That's fine. Hey, I think we found the next movie that all three of us are probably going to shelf. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Damn. In I advance. I cannot wait to see what part three's part Trey has in store for us. Sounds like a lot of fun. Start watching some trilogies, friends, and uh, especially beginning with uh, Wolverine things, and make sure you watch Logan. And until then, we'll you keep watching. We'll We'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time.